What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, June 25th, 2019. This week's episode, the, Bellas, the Bellator London and UFC Greenville recap. What's up, guys? My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. One day closer to hump day. How are you doing, man? I am doing good. It was a very busy weekend in MMA, and we had a lot to go over. There was obviously two cards in the, from the weekend. We got a lot of news. We got a lot of fights. I've got our big announcement coming up at the end of the show. So I'm excited to break that news to you and everybody else. But we've got a lot of fights to get started with, Natalie. Um, I know that with two cards, uh, people would argue Bellator had the, I guess, most talent, so to speak, on their card. But I think also for a lot of specific reasons, people will tell you that the UFC card ended up being the card of the weekend and stole the show. So we're going to start there. Let's get us rolling with the main event, Korean Zombie against Hinato Moicano. Quick but sweet, what were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, man, quick, quick but sweet is the best way to describe that. Korean Zombie came out with a mission to redeem himself. Both guys needed to do that, coming off their losses and the way those losses went down. But Korean Zombie struck first. And, uh, you know, he didn't give Moicano a chance to even try to think about implementing a game plan. It was over before it started. So kudos to Korean Zombie. Uh, kudos to Korean Zombie, and we'll see what where he ends up next. Like, what what's his next matchup? He's ranked 12th right now, but uh, obviously that's going to change. Moicano was ranked fifth. He'll probably drop, and he'll be he'll be fine too. He'll just need to regroup a little bit. We've seen it with some other fighters before. Justin Gaethje comes to mind. A couple of you know big losses, but you you go back to the drawing board, and he's obviously super talented. So. Looking forward to uh, what he's going to do next. But Korean Zombie Man, he's the uh, the man of the uh, of the hour right now. So I hope uh, I hope he gets a good next uh, next next matchup. Yeah, you know, when I, following that fight, I kind of asked myself, like, why don't I ever put Korean Zombie in like my top five? Because he really is one of those guys who's consistently fun. I know he had some time off to handle other things and obligations to you know to do, but He's back and really, you know, he reminds everybody why he's such a fan favorite. And I think Saturday's performance, he really wanted to erase the Yaya Rodriguez loss. He wanted to come out there, guns blazing, really put it on him, not warm up and get there. He really wanted to get that quick finish, if you ask me. So I was very impressed. Same thing with Hinato Moicano. Like you said, he just has to get, um, he's got to regroup. I think he's got to look for some, um, the right matchup to get back in there. He's still a top 10 guy. I just think that, you know, this MMA and the featherweight division has a lot of talent right now, which, you know, obviously poses the question, who is next for the Korean zombie? Um, he's ranked very low. I think that his name value, though, kind of... The number isn't as big as the name. I think that Korean zombie is a lot closer to a title shot than the numbers would suggest. That being said, he does have quite a few solid guys in front of him. 
Frank Edgar and Volkanovski, obvious, but there's also the big fight with Brian Ortega and Zabit coming up too. Uh, Natalie, one for me that I would say, and I think um, you would probably agree, is Jeremy Stevens. I don't think he is booked right now, but that's an opponent. And really just looking at that uh, top ten, you just anyone five and lower, you, you really got to think that it's right there for him. I think that the big names right now are just not going to happen on the timetable that he would like. So let's say he were to fight the loser of Ortega and Zabit. I don't know that that would necessarily happen until like a November, December at the earliest. There's no guarantee that they'll fight twice this year. So I think that that's what we're looking at. But I would say a matchup like that to move him ahead and just, you know, Jeremy not, you know, relatively, you know, still solid in the division. I think that's a step up for Moicano when you consider the knockout power, too. Yeah, Stevens makes sense for sure. And, uh, you know, before this fight start, uh, before this fight happened uh, on Saturday, I didn't even realize how far apart, actually, Zombie and Moicano were on the rankings. So uh, I, I would love to see where it all shakes out, but Stevens is the one that's jumping out right now just looking at the standings. And... Uh, I mean, with that name, like Korean Zombie and the knockout, like he's so marketable. The, the UFC, especially with how you know, they're trying to grow the Asian market, like they're going to push him. They're definitely going to push him. So if uh, Stevens just makes the most sense, but if for whatever reason something happens with Ortega, the beat, I mean, he's right there. So that could be interesting too. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, you tell me that, something happens, we'll get a zombie versus Ortega or zombie versus Zabit. I'm all for it. That's just some good television. I I agree with you. I think that those will stand out. And um, that's a tough thing. Moicano was ranked, you know, number five, number four. There's not too many guys ahead of him that, um, you know, it makes for an awkward jump. Any matchup I think ahead is going to be like, you know, a huge step up in competition in terms of the ladder. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, look, just fun stuff. Like I said, he reminds everybody why he's uh, such a popular guy. And I know he's had time off, but, uh, like I said, it, when he's back and he's active, it really is an exciting player in the featherweight division. Before we move on to Bellator, there was a key fight that I wanted to talk to you about because I feel like this is that turning the corner fight for the flyweight division, especially after... Liz Carmouche takes on your sister, Valentina. Um, Andrea Lee versus Montana De La Rosa. Uh, a lot of people would say this one was a lot closer on paper than the fight turned out. I was very impressed with Andrea's uh, technical striking. I, uh, that was going to be the advantage going in. But really, just how sharp she looked, considering everything that's been going on, considering how Montana has looked in her last few fights against solid competition, um, that was just a big one, and when she, when Andrea came into the UFC uh, last year, like in early last year, a lot of people, I think, had her on the short list for a title shot. Obviously, things have been shooken up, but I just really feel like she is working her way to be that next girl. If not after Liz, then, you know, only a fight or two away from getting that title fight. Yeah, that that makes sense when I mean, just looking at the rankings and her her physique. Like she's she's definitely more cut and she's got the stand up skills and she did she did fine on the ground too. You know, 
she kind of neutralized Montana. So it would be interesting to see what's Roxanne Monteferry. Does she have an opponent yet? I don't know. But that, that would they be gave interesting her, yeah, they gave her Jennifer Maya to replace uh, Liz oh, Carmuch okay. um, l- late next month. Gotcha. Well, hopefully but I like that can... fight. Yeah, that's a good fight, a good test for Andrea because you know Roxanne did so well against um, my sister that you know kind of didn't show up that night, Antonina. <laughs> but um, she did really well against her, so I'd like to see how she does against another striker that's stronger and has, you know can put together things more smoothly, less timid. I think, I think Antonina, not, that, not to go off on a tangent, but Antonina's kind of suffering from what Valentina suffered from at the very, very beginning, which is a little bit of timidity, like realizing how much is on the line and not wanting to push it. But we know she can. So Andrew Lee's not doing that. So that would be a good fight. Um, what else? Alexis Davis? Um, I don't know if I, I don't know where she is right now. I feel like she just fought. Uh, but yeah, Andrew Lee, Good showing. Montana De La Rosa maybe needs to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Uh, the, the, the 125 division is starting to look very serious, you know. You have a lot of well-rounded fighters, strong stand-up. So you got to be sharp now. It's, it's, not, it's not the division of even two years ago. Or no, I guess, when did they start it? But I'm thinking of like the 115ers that moved over to 125, like, the talent and, and women's MMA has evolved a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think the flowy division, you're really seeing it. I mean, you think about how Paige Van Zandt looked against Rachel Ostovich. I mean, that's another player in the game right now for a division that doesn't have too many girls top to bottom in terms of, you know, top 10 and rankings and everything. So I agree with you. Um, I I'd even throw out uh, Antonina. I feel like that's an exciting fight for Andrea Lee and um, maybe show, you know, obviously a striking battle, but maybe we'll see, you know, force Andrea to show us uh, uh, her, her grappling more and to just really keep the fight there. If Antonina is a little bit bigger and more powerful on the feet, you know, someone that Andrea can't just really walk through like she has a bunch of people. So I think that that's a good test, but, you know, that's one of the things about the flyweight division is that you are getting some talent, you know, creeping up now. And like you said, even from two years ago, more and more of these girls, you know, one, you have the talent more. I think I think the numbers and just the rankings, we kind of have a more definite line of where we see everybody. And then two, um, the girls who were there, like your Roxanne's and others, they've developed into better fighters. And I think that that says a lot about where, you know, just where the division is at, which is a very exciting one. Talking about Bellator now, we're going to talk about the struggle to actually enjoy it after we talk about some of the fights. Let's start with the big upset from the weekend, though. Rafael Lovato Jr. taking on Gegard Mousasi. 25 minutes, he needed all of them to pull off the upset, but he takes the middleweight title against him in London. Um, Natalie, just how do you put into words that performance? Because it really was something. So I've only been I've only been able to catch the highlights on this one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do most of the talking here. But from mm-hmm. what I've seen, it yeah, it was it was surprising. Seems like Gagar tried to turn it on at the end, but it wasn't enough. Um, I really didn't expect 
I mean, I don't think most people, I, they knew it would be a challenge, but I think people thought that Musasi was going to be able to, to, I thought he was going to finish him, man. I really did. So very surprising, but I guess, uh, look, the specialist, the MMA specialist is still a real threat, you know, and, uh, and I think that's what Lovato Jr. proved. How did you, uh, how did you, well, by the time you were able to actually find the fight, how did you, uh, how did you find, how did you like it? Uh, yeah, I got lucky, and uh, like I said, we'll talk about the timing in a bit, but I was able to catch it at its awkward time on the Bellator app live, and I think the fact is they just haven't put the replay up yet because of all the broadcast stuff. Um, in terms of the fight itself, uh, there were you know, there were two times I thought the fight was a wrap. After the two rounds of domination on the ground from Lovato, I was like, you know, Musasi got nothing for him. He can't get off the bottom. He can't, you know, mount any offense. He's just so preoccupied. He's so stuck trying to neutralize the standard. Then in the third and fourth, he turns it on. It looks like Lovato isn't, you know, he's running out of gas. It looks like he doesn't, he's not going to be able to get that takedown again. And Musasi is coming on. And it's like, look, he's about, you know, he was in control going into that fifth. Lovato got that late take, you know, that takedown early, and um, he got the body triangle early, and he just held on to it. Mustafi never escaped, and as the clock wound down in the fifth, it was a little anticlimactic for the fact that after everything Gegard did, that last takedown, he wasn't ever able to improve his position. Lovato had his back, was transitioning, staying on top. He, um, Mustafi never was in a position. So, uh, you know, moving forward, that was just really one of those fights that, um, you know, look, like you said about the specialist, Lovato really handled business. And, um, look, I mean, Gago Musasi not done, but this really does shake up their middleweight division. Let me toss it to you. Do we see a rematch? Do we see something else for both Lovato and Gegard in terms of um, does Gegard move up? What do you think is next? Yeah, that's an interesting question because before the the fight, Musasi was uh, t- saying in interviews that he would only move up if they paid him and that it didn't look like the, um, Bellator was interested in paying him more to go up and fight, let's say, Bader. But now I guess he can just sort of do whatever makes the most sense for him and whatever he wants to do. So now coming off a loss, is he going to get more money? Probably not, but... Uh, you know, the pressure's off. And if he if he felt like 185 was a tough cut, which I actually I don't know, uh, I don't have I haven't heard from him. Um, not obviously not directly, but I'm not aware of it being a tough cut for him. Although he's pretty muscular, but at this point he can just go wherever he feels more comfortable. So uh, I think a rematch is probably likely to happen. It seems like uh, Lovato Jr. is open to it. So. If Musasi thinks that he can find some different gears or figure out a different game plan, let's see it and put it on the zone. <laughs> yeah. you know, think about the Musasi, and this is part of what makes him such a interesting character in MMA, is compared to other guys, you sometimes don't get the impression that he's in it to, you know, I want to prove I'm the best and, 
X, Y, Z that some of these guys say, right? You kind of get the idea that for all his talent, he still at the end of the day sees it as a job, a job he likes, but still a job. And so, you know, like DJ leaving for one FC, you know, rather do like a trilogy with Henry Cejudo, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, this is where I'm at and that, you know, intense, I got to prove something and show him I can whoop Lovato Jr. I don't know if that's necessarily in Gegard. I think that only he can answer that question. Not to say that he doesn't, he isn't competitive. You have to be. But if you, if he says, I'm just going to move up to 205 so I don't have to cut weight for the last two fights of my career, um, I wouldn't be surprised. And so I think that it comes down to Gegard. Does he really feel this intense desire to try to win it back? Or does he feel like, hey, I don't care. Just give me a good money fight with Machida. Give me a good money fight with um, somebody else. And that's just the end of it. I'll see how I feel after I complete the two fights. But maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to prove something against Lovato at this stage. I think that that's the big question. Um, for Lovato, I think that you shoot your shot, and if Gegard doesn't want it, you ask Machida if he does, you get that big fight for yourself. And, um, yeah, once again, I think the ball's in Gegard's court. I think if he wants a rematch, he gets it. If he doesn't, then pursue the biggest fight available. Sounds good to me. Masasi Machida would be uh, would be fun for the money fight, but Masasi, um, sorry, Machida for the belt would also be awesome for him. So it sounds like Machida's going to be the, the one who wins here. No, I, I agree. I mean, uh, respectfully, he's the one who beat Chael Sonnen. He's the one who kind of set it up, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's where we're at with it. Um, I, obviously, you know, I, I feel like we, we're not going to see that announced until late. I think that if we see a quick turnaround, it's going to be for Lovato Jr., and they set him up for one of the big cards later this year, um, like the Hawaii card that, that that's rumored, like the late other stuff that they got going on. Um, for Musasi, I would be very shocked if he fights again this year. I just... I just had that feeling that win or lose, he kind of likes to take a lot of time off between just to feel like he's healthy and back 100%. But there were other fights on the card. These did make it to Paramount Network on tape delay, which we've already addressed last week is one of the big crimes of American MMA broadcasting that were still on tape delay for Bellator, even when they're in California sometimes. Um, James Gallagher, Dave, um, Paul Daly, James surprised me with as much grappling as he used. I was very impressed. And then Paul Daly, Eric Silva was all the fun you wanted. I thought it, was, it delivered. It was the fight I wish we got against MVP. And um, look, I think that Paul Daly performed a little bit better knowing that he was at home. I think that he had something to prove in that fight. So those are good fights for showcases um, of two of the big stars in Bellator. What did you think? Yeah, for me, the thing that jumps out of out of these two is, is Gallagher's uh, admission after the fight um, that he was having a lot of problems with his uh, with his mindset weeks before the fight that he wanted to withdraw from the bout that he wanted to quit the sport and uh, he just had to push through with the help of his teammates and coaches. And uh, you know, he said, "My performance was not great, but I did it, and that's what matters." So I love the honesty. It's something that 
a lot of fighters are, are really giving to the fans now more than ever. And it's like, hey, man, at the end of the day, we're all human, and we all have days and weeks and months where we don't want to keep pushing as hard as we've been pushing, but you got to do it. So props to him for uh, for being so candid with his, uh, with you know, the, the, the weeks leading up to the fight when you usually think about a fighter being just ready to go and, and you know, you pick, I think about, like, Rocky Four, like, you just pumped your jack, and he was like, nah, you know, I was having panic attacks. I couldn't even, I, I, I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to be an MMA fighter anymore. So very interesting to me and uh, happy for, I don't know the guy, but happy for him that he was able to push through because that ain't easy. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that he's such an interesting character. Uh, let's say like it is. He made his name of acting like Conor McGregor Jr., which look, is a very lucrative, uh, right? Which, so I, I've always gotten that. The people who, I, who I've spoken to who know him personally will tell you that the, I don't know how to say that nickname. I keep trying. It's like I, I just can't get my tongue around it. The Strabanimal, that's, that's, that's something yeah. he turns on. Yeah. That's something he turns on for the camera. Um, but look, like, this is a young guy in his career who's got some talent. He's trying to promote himself. Um, it, it's interesting because you feel like, hey, you know, you're the next generation. You're taking advantage of all of the Internet and social media to build a career on top of the athletic part of everything and the competition side. So it's very interesting, but like yourself, I was very, um, I was very impressed. If he is going through that to be able to come back, I think that it says a lot about his character that you know, we don't talk about enough because his uh, public persona is what it is. So, I, like yourself, I was very impressed with it. Let's talk about the broadcast, Natalie. So, I'm going to try to explain how you were supposed to be able to watch it in as few words as possible. So, the prelims aired on the Bellator app live at 10 in the morning. The, quote, main card, which featured Gallagher and Daly, was then going to be on DAZN and Paramount, but to, due to the broadcasting rights, it was tape delayed until the evening. So what this meant was, if you are watching fights for the first two, three hours in the morning on the Bellator app, they stopped, and the broadcast went dead for the hour or two in between. Which, Bellator, the Bellator app resumed for the, quote, Bellator London card, which featured Melvin Manhoff and the Gegard Mousasi fight. That started airing back on the Bellator app at, like, 2 p.m. or something, but you, if you were in America, were not actually able to watch the Daily Gallagher stuff until it aired simultaneously on tape delay on the Zone and Paramount that night. Did that make sense? I mean, I understood what you said, but it doesn't make sense that it would be structured that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everyone in the world was, uh, I'm not going to lie, I got a headache uh, on that and uh, look, we uh, that card was, quote, for London, because that was not... If you were an American fan trying to watch that, you tuned out, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, I managed to avoid all of this chaos through ignorance, because um, I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. Actually, my plan was there was so much going on um, fight-wise 
because I also really wanted to watch BKFC. So my plan was to watch UFC, BKFC, and pick up Bellator the next day. So I inadvertently avoided all of the madness, but it sounds indeed like madness. What the heck, man? That's super weird. Like, they, they cannot proceed that way. You, It's fine that you want to, you know, support London uh, or the U.K. and give them, you know, proper time slots. That's great. But at least let us experience it then all in a row. Like, why would you break it up like that and on different platforms? You know, just pick one. And if it means the whole thing is tape delayed, I'd, I'd prefer that than having to turn off one app and go online and change the channel all in one day. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is that, um, like, why does Paramount need a replay Creed on Friday night instead of Air Bellator Live? I think that that's, like, that's happened, and it's a head-scratcher. And I understand, you know, it's more complicated than just putting it live, but we see it happen successfully on so many channels that it's still mind-boggling. And yeah, then I think is the, not a sports a channel, I guess, and so they're probably just looking at bottom line. And and if they're really doing that, if they're programming a you know a movie, an old movie at this point over a live sports event, then that means they're making more advertising dollars on the movie, which is crazy. But um, yeah, but you know, Bellator, I would. I would think would want to readdress those terms that they have with Paramount, especially that you have DAZN, you have the streaming app. People can watch this whenever they want on their devices. Why? And that's a, that was my second point. And then of course they doubled down on that for the fact that at times the DAZN airing is um, tape delayed for the fact that you know they're working with the broadcasting rights and. Um, which once again is mind-boggling because it's like it, you can choose whenever you want it to start streaming. Why in the world would you tape delay? There's no, there's no other program that needs to be on the channel on the zone. So all of that yeah. combined is very frustrating. And um, look, that uh, that does not just come from Scott Coker and Bellator. There are clearly a lot of pieces involved that are the that are in the way of the tape delay solution. But at the end of the day, Saturday was probably the biggest example of just how, you know, frustrating, you know, the, the situation can be. And I think um, I would argue that there's very few that are ever going to be worse situation than that one um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's one. You hope they don't try to do that too many more times this year because that's going to be too much. Yeah. Good luck. Moving on. We Yeah. Moving on, we do have some great uh, MMA news to discuss. The first one is the um, very surprising. They have booked Colby Covington to take on Robbie Lawler August 2nd or 3rd in Newark, New Jersey. So that one is going to be on big ESPN. But the big surprise is that we have all been waiting and expecting for Kamaru Usman to defend the welterweight title first against Colby this obviously shakes things up, especially with Ben Askren and Jorge Masvidal next Saturday. So, Natalie, very bluntly, what are your thoughts on them booking this fight instead of the plan that we all have been waiting for and expecting in Usman and Colby? Yeah, man, I was I was stunned. And you're the one that broke the news to me last night because uh, I had just been listening to a 
Colby Covington interview on MMA Junkie like three hours before. You you messaged me. He's saying the fight with Usman is set in stone. Those are his words. That he received confirmation from Dana White, Hunter Campbell. I don't know who else at the UFC. He's fighting Usman. And then this. So um, what I understood before this Lawler-Covington news broke was that Usman had had like a double hernia surgery, which is crazy. Uh, so, so that did make me think in the back of my mind, like, wow, will he be ready to go anytime soon? Because remember with Whitaker, it, it, it took a little while, and, and that's just a tough surgery to come back to, come back from, especially when you're a fighter and you're using your core <laughs> a lot. Uh, but in any case, shocking to me. Uh, but then I say, okay, well, that's what it is. Fine. Is this a good fight? It's an exciting fight. Yeah, I think so. I'm more excited because of how ferocious Lawler looked against Askren, even though it was that weird ending. He looked so savage. He looked like an animal. He just wanted to kill. Like, it looked like someone who'd been penned up for years and wasn't allowed to, you know, live their true animal life. And all of a sudden, he's released from the cage and he's been going for it. So, um, I don't know it's dramatic, but that's just the look he had in his eyes, you know? No, uh, I, I completely I mean, agree with you. I completely yeah. agree with you. Uh, it was terrifying, frankly. Um, and so when he, what's he going to, how's he going to deal with Covington and that like really smothering, relentless, like wrestling? I have no idea, man. I got to sit and watch some, some footage on both these guys just to try and wrap my brain around how this fight's going to go down. But I am excited about the, the buildup. You know, Covington's going to talk a bunch of trash and you're going to see Lawler just sitting there with his eyes, his dead shark eyes, not giving a darn what this guy says. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, uh, I think Ben Askren proved... I think he said it to somebody. It's like, trash talk just doesn't work on Robbie Lawler. It just doesn't. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That speaks to the kind of animal that dude is. Um, in terms of the, the change in direction, the only thing I could... There are two. And I believe the UFC is going to say that Kamaru's been out a while. Colby has not fought in a year now, mind you. Uh, just, you know, calling out Kamaru at the fight week in March doesn't count. Um, <laughs> so I think that there is a little bit of a, I don't, I'll use the phrase reintroduction to get hype back around Colby. That being said, I am going to say this for behind the scenes. It would not surprise me if, Kamaru, and taking a note from Tyron Woodley before him, passed up on the chance to be the guy to get hands on Colby because he dislikes his approach so much that he did not want to give him the title shot and the promo, the opportunity, just for the chance to be the guy to put hands on him. He gave up that opportunity and let someone else have it because he doesn't want to give Colby what he wants. I would not be surprised if that's what happened, and that's why it's taken so long to get any kind of message out about what's going on with the welterweight division. Now, that's just me. That is, it could very well be that you have to make a fight happen, and Kamaru is recovering from that uh, surgery still, so all of that says a lot. I know Kamaru... Now, interestingly, Kamaru did, men, uh, through his manager, said that ready for November. We know that's Madison's garden, typically. Um, mentioned Ben Askren by name, did not mention Kobe Covington. I feel like that's the writing on the wall for my, you know, 
conspiracy theory, so I'm just going to roll with that one for this segment. But I do think there's a little bit of that going on, more so than just he's got to take time to heal up, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to just, you know, put, what did it say? Put on the tinfoil hat and roll with that theory for <laughs> you know today, I which I never a, do. I yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's not tinfoil hat, and I'm glad you, you mentioned your theory because it makes total sense. When you look at just Tyron and Woodley and the kind of men they are, yeah, man, the, you, you don't want to give, like, they probably look at, at Covington as like a clown, and you don't want to give him a platform. And so if there's, you know, if you're okay with waiting a little bit and, and you have an injury anyway, you know, let, let, let Colby, Colby uh, stew in his juices. Let him figure something else out. That, that makes sense, dude. There's probably a lot behind that theory for sure. Yes, but look, we obviously got to hear from the man himself in Kamaru, so we'll find out more soon. Then in terms of the fight, uh, look, Colby, very underrated um, in terms of his pressure and his ability to wrestle. That is for sure. That can pose problems for Robbie Lawler. Of course, we did also see Robbie take on a very similar guy in Ben Askren in terms of, you know, pressure, try to wrestle, and we all remember how that was going. So, very interesting fight, but it is not as one-sided for either side as anyone would imagine, at least early on. And, um, look, that fight's going to be coming up. We'll only have, like, three shows before we're really breaking it down in, um, in detail. So, we'll have plenty more to discuss as that one gets closer. The next story of the week, Sugar Sean O'Malley is out of next week's fight with, uh, you know, against Marlon Vera. And it is for a very interesting reason. USADA says they are still finding levels of osterine. Osterine. I always mess these up. But (laughs) they believe it is residual. We have heard this story before with a certain UFC champion. Residual from the last test. They do not believe it is indicative of further use of the substance. That being said, he has been temporarily suspended while they, in quote, investigate the matter. Natalie, what do we have here? Well, we have a, uh, apparently a, a drug that um, can be detected down to the most minute, uh, dare I say, picogram or whatever the heck the measurement is <laughs> for this. Is this the same thing John Jones was, was getting pulses of, right? Different one, I think. Different one. Okay. So whatever it is, it's like, you know, the sneaky, the sneaky drug that likes to hang out in your, in your red blood cells until, uh, and come out at the worst moment. So I feel bad for the guy because I don't know much about him and I don't, not not like I have this amazing sense of people, but he doesn't seem like a dirty fighter. Uh, He was pretty open about it when he first got busted. He took something that was contaminated. So I feel for him, and yeah, I mean, clearly the UFC is not going to give Sean O'Malley the same response that they gave to John Jones and move the whole fight to a different state. Uh, but I'm not surprised by that, and, it, and also it would be weird if they did anything even close to that, because it's, we're just talking about different levels here. So not that I like what they, that they, you know, kind of threw a wrench in everyone's week when they moved the whole fight from Vegas to California for John Jones. I thought that sucked for everybody else, but uh, 
you know, I, I totally understand why they're not doing anything like that for Mr. Uh, Mr. Sean O'Malley here. But it is frustrating, though. Like, we're grateful that there's all this testing, but then with something like EPO and TJ Dillashaw, they completely miss it until after the fight. But then something like this, where it's just traces, it's, the word is traces, residual, and it's not really impacting his performance, then they catch it, and then they, they put him on the sidelines. So it kind of sucks, man. <laughs> it kind of sucks as a fan, but more as a fighter. Like, you, 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 you're honest, you're open, and you can't win. You try to hide, and you, you get to fight, you get your money, and then you get suspended after the fact, like T.J. Dillashaw. Yeah, to, to me, um, I, I do agree with you on Sean O'Malley. He is a colorful character. Um, I still think the most epic post-fight interviews with Joe Rogan had. And um, I want to give him that credit. I know he's a young guy, you know, with the Contender Series and all that. We have, you know, he's, we're kind of still, we thought he was going to have that upward trend. He's going to be the breakout guy, or we're going to get to know him a bit in the same vein as Sage and other guys that we know. But, um, yeah, unfortunate, I really, to me, the biggest thing that stands out, he meant, uh, some people mentioned the Anaheim card and, moving him to California like they did John, you know, not the whole card, but at least his appearance and his chance to compete. The fact that that is happening, that says to me a little bit, because it's like, I know he's not John Jones and things won't be expedited the same way. However, I feel like we, we now have a precedent for this kind of thing, right? So why is it taking time? And look, part of that is just the fights in two weeks, three weeks from the announcement, if I'm not mistaken. So there is some of that there, but I do think that this is interesting that they're automatically saying that. And I'm going to be a little cautious and say we might still see him very soon. If they rule that, if they can prove that like they did John Jones quickly, I would hope. What would be unfortunate is we do see the absolute, you know, preferential treatment thing happen and it takes him a long time to prove that it is the same or you know very similar to john jones and he should be allowed to compete but it just takes longer because he's not a ufc champion so that would be my one thing that we do just wait and see is how do they treat it and what is the ruling is it just the same thing as john jones, or are they do they believe it's something more suspicious that's something that we're gonna have to wait and see yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, I heard uh, one of my favorite Internet celebrities, Mini Habib, say the only thing that could stop uh, Sean O'Malley's cavities, and I found that very <laughs> funny, and unfortunately, I, it is not funny to find out that might be incorrect. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely one of those uh, storylines that we're going to be keeping an eye on. The next one, not too much to say, rather than the fact that it is su- pleasantly surprising Jose Aldo goes back on retirement talk. Reportedly, he's already signed a new eight-fight deal to stay with the UFC. Natalie, what do you think about the King of Rio sticking around? I'm, I'm happy that he's sticking around because he's looked so good of late. But eight fights is so many. Why wouldn't you just yep. do – I don't know. I, look, I don't know how these contracts are, are structured and if you're guaranteed more money by – by agreeing to more years or more fights. But darn it, man, I, I would not want to sign an eight-year fight, even if I was in my prime. 
um, especially if I'm in my prime, actually, because then I think, well, I'm going to get better, so I don't want to be tied down for eight fights. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, what really surprised me here is just the number of fights he committed to. Now, if he chooses to retire, I guess it doesn't matter, right, because you can retire yep. any time. It doesn't matter what's left on your contract. But uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what the thinking is behind that stuff. I know nothing about uh, fighter agreements and this is uh, something I actually would like to learn more about. And um, it's, uh, look, he looks, he looks good to me. He still looks good despite his loss to Volkanovski. So not surprised. Happy to see him. But, um, but I don't know. He's, he's done the um, I'm in, I'm out a lot. And um, so I'm, I really don't think he's going to fight, actually end up fighting eight more times in the UFC. To me, the question to ask is, he talked about, I want to do different stuff. I want to do boxing. I want to do this and that. Is his new UFC, UFC deal going to allow it? Is that what we're going to see? Is he just, he signed and instead of, you know, retiring while he's on top, you know, so to speak, he's going to just kind of run until he feels the wheels are coming off the wagon kind of deal? I think that that's the big question to ask Jose Aldo is that, you know, are you, do you plan to actually fight out eight fights or is that just the deal they offered and whenever you decide to call it quits, you call it quits? If it's in eight, if it's in three, you know, but that's just the end of it. Um, I do believe that, let's say like it is, I don't think he'll fight MMA for anybody but the UFC. So if he decides to pull a Uriah Faber or something like that, I think that might be another reason why he signed a long deal. But that's the only thing I can imagine is that even though he signed for eight, he doesn't actually plan to maybe fight all eight as much as, you know, if he feels like, you know, he's slowing down a little too much faster than expected, then he'll just walk away. I completely see that being possible. I don't see him trying to, you know, just keep pushing through just for the sake of completing the eight fights. Or, you know, look, like you just said, he looks great. He's still got a ton of fight left in him. You know, if you really feel like fighting and you really genuinely have that uh, desire and hunger, far be it from me to stop you. I think it is great that we're going to see him a little more than expected. I can say I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah same here. Moving on. So a lot of stuff going to be going on next week, but we still have one more UFC event before International Fight Week. UFC goes back to the Twin Cities. I think they are the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, Minnesota, <laughs> for the heavyweight collision. Francis Ngannou taking on former champion Junior Dos Santos. Natalie Zamudio, who wins this battle of heavy hitters? Oh, boy. Okay. Francis Ngannou has been going around saying some kind of interesting things. Uh, one, he says he's a better boxer than, than JDS which I'll respectfully disagree with. Two, he's saying he doesn't believe that JDS is actually a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that he's, like, lying about it because he never really uses it in the cage. So I hope that Nganu is just saying those things and doesn't actually believe them because mm -hmm. that wouldn't be very wise. Uh, however, Francis Nganu is a terrifying man. We all know that. Everyone gets scared and excited at the prospect of seeing him fight no matter what, no matter the opponent. And he's probably improved so much, right? He's, he's so new to the sport that he's improving every fight. 
And, uh, yeah, his boxing probably does look a lot better, and he's probably in the best shape he's been in. But JDS is so smart. He's such a great boxer. He can keep the distance. He can, um, you know, has good footwork. He can evade Francis's punches, I think, for a while. But eventually, I suspect something will land. And, and I don't know how you survive that if you're JDS, who is one of, like, the lighter heavyweights out there. Um, so I, this is a tough one for me because JDS is so smart, and I think he could pull, like, a Stipe and just fight Ngannou very wisely, stay safe, and outpoint him, and maybe, you know, out, I don't know, hold him against the cage, but, you know, do some cage work there. I think ultimately, if I'm going with my gut here, I think Nganu catches him and knocks him out. So that's my prediction. But I, I bet it'll be a, a good fight, and I think it'll go at least to the second or third round. What do you got? You know what? Um, every time I think about it going later, I just think about one of those guys just landing early. Um, I, I think... It, Look, this could really go either way. They both hit like a ton of bricks. Speed for JDS, the power for Nganu. What does that translate to at the end of the day? It means that even if Nganu doesn't land the cleanest shot, he has the higher probability of hurting JDS with something and that changing the course of the fight, obviously opening him up to land that big shot that will close the show quicker. JDS, respectfully, will probably have to do a little more work to get that shot because even though he hits and he stings, it's not going to, you know, get, you know, make him see stars and Tweety Bird as much as one shot from Nganu will. So that all plays a factor. Um, to me, it comes down to the defense and the cardio um, for JDS. I think that if you're defensive, you get in and out effectively you absolutely can run the clock and just tire out Nganu. Um, uh, he's a big guy, and I'm sure he's worked on it. But JDS is a five-round, you know, tried-and-tested athlete, and I think that that says a lot about if this fight goes into the later rounds. Um, that being said, early, uh, early knockout, I tend to lean towards Nganu. I believe that JDS has been drilling and drilling to keep that chin low, hands high, every combination, return to the chamber. He's done his homework on his boxing. I do believe that JDS is going to be able to pull it off. I think that he's going to just make sure he's not in those bad positions. And I think the speed, I think at the end of the day, JDS is going to be able to effectively counter Nganu, and that's going to chop away at the gas tank a lot faster than people are expecting. I predict JDS early round knockout. I think that Nganu is going to leave an opening, and he's going to be able to take him out. I got to tell you, I love your prediction because I, I, my heart, I want JDS to win, so I really hope your, uh, your prediction comes to pass. <laughs> but you're going with Nganu. <laughs> I'm going with Ngannou, I'm going with Nganu, but like this is one of those head heart things where I just I didn't mention my heart thing, but since you since you picked JDS, I can say it. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with Nganu as who I think will win. But I really, really am going to be rooting for JDS, and I want him to win. I hope it goes down the way you say. So fingers crossed, man. 
Can I just ask bluntly, are you expecting, you know, at the end of the day, your head is telling you and Ganu's just going to catch him early and put him to sleep? Yeah, yeah, I think he'll catch. I, I think JDS can evade uh, Ganu successfully for a round or two, but I think ultimately he'll get caught. That's, that's how I feel, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. No, look, it's one of those things. You can't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Someone is going to go down. It is hard to predict um, anything else for these two guys. But uh, look, at this one, it's like toss a coin. If they just throw those big right hands in the center of the octagon, you are going to, one of them is going to fall, plain and simple. And that's why they got, that's why they got pulled for the main event and, um, Look, I mean, we were supposed to get Lawler and Woodley. I would argue this fight is even more fun. So if I'm a fan of Minneapolis, I'm not really complaining. Um, look, they have a lot of title implications. I am going to reserve those predictions until after the fight because I do think how they look is going to be as important as, you know, who wins between D.C. and Stipe in August very soon. So I do think there's a few more hurdles business-wise before we just say, yes, absolutely, they're going to fight for the belt next. Even though, by the numbers, that makes all the sense in the world, for sure. All right. Natalie Zamudio, I have a big announcement for you and the <laughs> show. I've been keeping you in suspense. I think I you may wait, have predicted man. it. So I am pleased to announce that I will be reporting on location next week. I will be in Vegas. I will be covering International Fight Week and UFC 239 live. So you guys will be able to check out my social media, my channels, and everywhere else that I provide content for, for interviews. I already spoke with some of the stars yesterday from UFC 239. So I have a lot of content that is going to be coming to the channel. Also, I will be doing our show on location, which is always an experience. So I will have a lot of news for you guys. But yes, I will be representing MMA Daily in Las Vegas in the biggest event of MMA for the year. So it is going to be very exciting. Dude, that's awesome news. Uh, Congratulations. And uh, I I wish we had made MMA Daily t-shirts. So you can pass them out. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is a. I mean, there's still time. Let's who's, who's, who's the plug? Let's get something printed out. Get some. But uh, no, man, that, <laughs> that's really awesome news. Um, that seems like an incredible event to be able to attend, and it's a heck of a card, dude. And and you're gonna you're gonna probably see some awesome things. So congrats on that. When are you heading out to Vegas? Um, next week, we're looking at next Tuesday, most likely, as, uh, you think Laban. You're gonna, or do you know yet? Are you driving, flying? Or, uh, uh, I'm going to be making the drive. Oh, nice. That's, it's, that's the way it's to do just that. more. It's just more cost-effective that way, unfortunately. Even though I, I, I prefer flying, I like to be able to just enjoy my movie, but it, it's not meant to be, so. Not like yeah, that. but it's way all good. more fun to drive. <laughs> you know what? It'll be all right. It, you know, I'll get through it. But yeah, I will have <laughs> plenty to talk. Um, we will coordinate when we do a show. There is still a show next week. We'll be talking about everything 
Stay tuned. I'll have plenty of content up. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. And Natalie, where can fans find you to talk about the rest of our MMA news and fights? I am on Twitter at ZamudioRama5, Instagram ZamudioRama, and the website is thestraightpunch.com. Awesome, guys. Give her a follow. Give me a follow, and we'll be back next week.